I'm in a, a location different than this one, and me and maybe you kind of look at each other in such a way where there's this slight recognition that we kind of know each other but don't really know each other, and it's at that moment I, I know what is about to happen is someone is about to say to me, I go to your church. I apologize for not knowing. We exchange names. And, and then I, I try to do this. I have to kind of gauge on the moment because I really don't want to be that real stickler on words per se, but words matter. And so I have to just stop and say, listen, like, I want you to remind you like, that it's, it's not like my church. Not that I don't go there or not that I don't love being a part of Sunnybrook, but it's really not my church. I don't own it. If you look at the deed, it doesn't say owned by James Allen Johnson. It's a church that I'm a part of. It's a church that is an absolute blessing that they are kind and they allow me to come back every Sunday. I mean, I think it's awesome. But it's, it's, in that sense, it's like it's not my church. But I know what they're saying. Um, they're, they're saying that I, I sometimes come and I hear you speak. I, I sometimes come and I enjoy the worship. I sometimes come and, and, and I really like some of the things that you say about, about life and about God. You, you kind of help me out occasionally. I know what they're saying. Totally get it. The, the part that I think really deepest concern that I have is that when, when we look at church, at the gathering together, and, and we fail to recognize that really, like it's not Jim's church, it's not even the great Paul Weiss's church. And it's not even like our church. It's God's. And that, that matters, actually. Like, I, I know at, at Walmart... Just in the checkout lane, it, it doesn't really matter that much. I get what we're saying. But tell me that foundationally that we recognize the difference. Foundationally, you and I know that what we are here to do and what, what it means to be a part of a church is to be a part of a family. And that family is not run by me. It's not run by our staff. It's not run by our elders. It's actually run by God. Sometimes it's just really good to just stop and, and to recognize who is the one that called us here? Who is the one that brought us together? Who is the one that holds us here? Who is the one that holds us together? And the repeated theme in the book of Acts is that it's God. It's God's church, it's God's people, it's God's plan, it's God's Messiah, it's God's gospel, it's God's purposes, it's to the glory of God. And, and we have the incredible joy of being a part of that. And when church gets it wrong is when they begin to assume wrongly that it's about them or it's for them. It's about what we do when, when these blue signs on the wall, which demonstrate all the different ministries that we do, when they are actually about us or for us or even just for our community, instead of what they really are, which is God's challenge to us so that he might be glorified in our city to people in need and ultimately around the world. That's what the church is all about. 
And the church has always had to wrestle with that. And so we have to wrestle with that. And I'm grateful that God has given us, through the pen of Luke, this time in the church's history when it had to deal with one of its most difficult, one of its most challenging issues. And this is the, weird that's, this is the part that's really weird. The early church could not get their head around that you and I would be invited. Think about that for a moment. The first Christians really wrestled with the fact that you and I would be a part of it. And yet Luke makes it a really, really, really big deal that the church of God and that the people of God not just figure out how to play nice, not how to just be more inclusive, but how they understand and how they purposefully trace the hand, the plan, the purposes of God, and, and then live accordingly. And that's what we're here to do this morning. We're here to worship God as the people of God. Not, not because Jim has called us, not because your friend has invited you, not because your mom made you come, but that foundationally because God is worth it all. Worthy of our glory and our honor and our praise. One word I, I want to define, just make sure it's defined well before we move forward. And it's kind of a simple word. It's the word gospel. It's a word that is so easily thrown around, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, that sometimes we fail to see just how wide or deep that concept is. In its simplest form, the gospel can be explained as the good news. Hey, good news. Well, what's the good news? It sometimes gets reduced into that Jesus loves you, that God forgives you, which is clearly part of the good news, right? Man, it's good news that God loves us and that God forgives us, but it's bigger than that. The good news, the, the way the Bible looks at it, has like a rich tradition to it that if we fail to recognize it, we just kind of think that the way things, the way they are, they've always been that way, and we fail to recognize how God is working in the world. The good news is this, that a long time ago, God made a promise to a man that he would make a great nation out of him so that all people in the world might be blessed. And God was faithful to that promise, and he made that man into a great nation. And then he gave them this incredible insight in terms of his character. It's called the Law of Moses. Some of you know it, just a small part of it. It's the Ten Commandments. To reveal who he was and how God might be pleased. But that really wasn't the purpose of it all. The purpose was that someday that one of the descendants of Abraham would actually save the world, the whole world. And then one day that happened. We call it Christmas. And Jesus was born. And there was something really special about him. Because this wasn't just like, this wasn't somebody else. This wasn't somebody like Moses or, or David or even any of the great prophets. It was someone that was fundamentally different. In fact, what the Bible says is that it was the Son of God that God put on flesh and he walked among us. And he lived the life that we could not live. And he fulfilled all the promises given to Abraham. He fulfilled all of the commandments given to the nation of Israel that they could not keep. And as a reward for this, the people that he came to save killed him. I know that sounds crazy, but don't worry. This was all part of God's plan. And God raised him from the dead, giving proof of the fact 
that Jesus wasn't just making stuff up. That he was, in fact, the Messiah. He was, in fact, the anointed one. He was, in fact, the king. And then a kingdom was established where Jesus, God himself, reigns in the world. And this is for everyone. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female. It's for everyone. And that's the good news. Isn't that great news? And you and I get here, and we get to, to reflect on God's goodness. Now, now, the problem is, is that as much as that is easy to say, see how deep that is? You see how, how rich that is? You see how when I just quickly say, hey, God loves you. How does he love me? All, all that stuff that I just told you, that's how he loves you. And, and by the way, it doesn't even end in this life. It continues on. He has given us eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. Like, I know it sounds too good to be true, but I genuinely believe it's true. Well, who would argue with that? Lots of people would argue with that. People have wrestled with the gospel. People have wrestled with the good news all the way back into the Old Testament. And we're going to see in the 18 verses that we have this morning to unpack, we're going to see the early church wrestling with the profound ways of God. See, the first Christians who were predominantly Jewish, exclusively, really, Jewish, could only know how to look back at the ways that God has worked. They had a real hard time, like, looking forward. They had a real hard time, like, connecting the dots in terms of, like, where God was going. All they could see is where God was. And, and, and hear me, they learned their lesson. I mean, it's easy for us to say, I don't understand why they didn't get it. But imagine if we were part of a people that just had problem after problem after problem after problem. And now all of a sudden we're going to try to set it straight. And the real problem that the nation of Israel had was they never took God's law seriously. And they became idolatrous and they decided to do what they wanted to do. And they rebelled against God all the time. So God finally really punished them. And he destroyed their land and he destroyed their temple. And he just said, you are such an idolatrous, wicked people. I'm going to send you into another nation. And, and literally their nation was just destroyed. And finally they went, okay, we are going to take your law seriously. And they did. That's the world that Jesus came upon. A world that was so devoted to the law of God, to the law of Moses, to the way of God, that they were going to follow it no matter what. And you have to appreciate that zeal and that devotion. And Peter and the apostles are, are trying to, to be faithful followers of Jesus. And these are the people they have to work with, people that are zealous for God's law. So zealous for the ways of God that they're no longer really interested in listening to God. Think about that. Could there ever be a group of people that are so interested in going to church and doing the church thing and doing it the way they've always done it, that they could somehow lose sight of why they were here? Do you think it's ever possible that the church could ever, ever, ever 
lose sight of why they're here and what they're to be doing? No, it happens to all of us. It, it can even what happen when we make it about Stephen Ministry, when we make it about inner city Dallas, when we make it about, you pick it, when you make it about worship. It's just about worship. It's really all it's about. Worshiping what? Doesn't really matter. Did you hear it? That was awesome. I love that song. But what are we singing it to? Doesn't really matter. Didn't it just make your heart feel awesome? And verses like this force us to get back and, and to deal with it. To deal with the very core of the gospel, which is centered around the person of Jesus Christ and the way of Jesus. That's what Luke is drawing the church back to. That's what Peter has to deal with. Is that sure, chapter 10, if just in case you missed it last week, Peter went and preached the good news of the kingdom to Gentiles, and the Holy Spirit fell on those Gentiles, and they didn't even have to get circumcised or start obeying the Sabbath. God opened the door to them on his terms, but they didn't have to do anything except just believe in Jesus. And the church wasn't ready for that. The church didn't get it. And so now Peter has to give account. Hey, Peter, I need you to explain this. See, the church has always wrestled with enemies that it, that it, that it works through. And enemies do this. Enemies, every, an enemy of the church always focuses around denying the person of Jesus. We really don't think he's the Messiah. Denying the person of Jesus. Well, I mean, hey, we believe in Jesus, but he's just a good teacher like everybody else. They deny the person of Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one else gets to the Father except from him, by him, through him. And there are people that deny the person of Jesus. He really wasn't raised from the dead. Honestly, th those people are easier to deal with because it's, it's rather like clear in terms of their position. We don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. It's rather clear. Where it gets a little fuzzy is this next category where they deny the way of Jesus. Sure, Jesus is the Messiah. Sure, Jesus is the way. And these are the additional things that we need to do in order to really be saved. I mean, that's what the church is wrestling with. Sure, it's about what Jesus did. Jesus and, there's a whole book, the book of Galatians dedicated to this. It's the way of Jesus and and the church here has to, has to deal with that. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be mostly in Acts chapter 11 today. Acts chapter 11, um, we're going to take a couple of journeys within the book of Acts where you can get a kind of a wider sense of what is actually happening. So the gospel is, is going to be criticized here, and it's an internal criticism. This is basically other Christians challenging Peter. Going, hey, I, you need to explain to us what you did. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you went to the house of a Gentile and you ate with him. Now, see, to eat with someone is to fully accept who they are. To embrace who they are. I know that's different in our culture. We walk into a restaurant and we, I mean, I've never met anybody who said, hey, wait, I need to take a look around and make sure there's no people that I don't agree with theologically in here before I sit down to eat. But table fellowship is a way of saying, I agree with you. I, I agree with who you are and the way you are. So it, it's not a small thing 
I know we don't get it culturally, but you need to kind of put the Bible in its own terms before we can ever apply it to our own. So they're shocked. I can't believe that you ate with them. What were you thinking? And so they criticize him. That's a very interesting word. Look at verse 2. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, that's like the headquarters of those who are really devout, really devoted to the way of Moses and to Jesus. Don't forget the Jesus part. They're devoted to their traditions and their customs and the way of Jesus. And Peter, why did you do that? So Peter went up to Jerusalem. The circumcised party, that's those people who are devoted and dedicated, and there's a long history of this, devoted and dedicated to the way of Moses, to what God said in the Old Testament. You've got to hear it in those terms. Like we're just trying to be faithful to God. We're just trying to be obedient to God. What is wrong with that? We feel like you're, feel like you're losing sight, Peter. We feel like that this, this Jesus thing is beginning to kind of spin us off in a direction that will lead us away ultimately from God's plan and God's purposes. They're trying to make sense of the Old Testament and the New. How many of you have a hard time seeing the connection sometimes between Old Testament and the New Testament? Anybody? Yeah! That's what they're wrestling with. It's not crazy. They're trying to take the old and the new and go, how do these line up? How does this new way through Christ, how does it match with God's plan and purpose? Because there's one God, there's one way, and he never changes his mind, and he never lies. How does Jesus fit into that? That's what the church is wrestling with. And so what did they do? Be careful with this word, because it's not as loaded as it is in our culture. It says here, and the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. Now, the word there um, for criticize, it, I mean, they may have had like a critical spirit. They may have been closed off to new ways, kind of like you are to new ways, right? We always want to think everybody else is closed-minded, not us. And I won't even listen to the fact that you think I'm closed-minded. Wait for it. The circumcision party... They criticized him. You know, by the way, like sometimes it's good to criticize things. We, we become so uncritical in our thinking. Let me take you to a great place where that same word is used. Back one chapter. Look at Acts chapter 10, verse 20. Acts chapter 10, verse 20. And that word is in that verse. Did you find it? Yeah, it's a different English translation for the word. Let me, let me begin in verse 19. And while Peter was pondering the vision, because that's what happens when God speaks and, and he's, he's like, he's going, wait for it, right? God does something and he's, he's looking at me going, okay, wait for it because I'm always behind God. I'm not ahead of him. I'm always behind him. So the vision has happened. God is moving in the world. God knows where he's going and what he's doing. He's always one step Here's an understatement. Ahead. He's actually eternally ahead. So while Peter is pondering, trying to catch up, what does it say? The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation. For I have sent them. There it is. There's the word right there. Do you see it? It's 
Translated in the English in chapter 10, without hesitation. That's the same word as criticized. Literally, the, the, the concept is, the Spirit says to Peter, here's what I've done, here's what I'm doing. I'm not here to discuss this with you. Like, we're not going to have a conversation about this. I mean, I get it that you're pondering, but these men have come down. I mean, I'm ahead of you, Peter, and now I want you to go down without hesitation. Why? Because I am speaking, because I am moving, and without hesitation, I want you to go with them. And, and these men, after they're, they're trying to catch up to where Peter was at, like, I, I don't know if they have like evil critical hearts or not. By the time we're done this story, it doesn't seem like they're the really even the bad guys. It just seems like they're really devoted and really dedicated and they're trying to figure out what God is doing. Maybe like you and me. Peter, I want you to go without criticizing this. I just need you to go. I had a dad like that. Still do, I think. Have a dad like that. As far as I know, still have a dad like that. And he would just say to me sometimes, hey, son, like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here to debate this with you. Like, I, here's what I need you to do. Because I, I, I think my job was when my dad would tell me to do something was to kind of come up with a list of reasons why I didn't want to do it. And, and by the way, sometimes my dad would enter into a conversation and, and then when I was done, I had to do what he told me to do. But there were times where my dad would say to me, like, hey, son, like, I'm really not, we're not here for a debate, not here for an argument, not here for, I mean, I'm here to tell you to do something, I need you to go do this. And I wanted to go, but dad, you know what you don't know? But dad, you know what you're not considering? You're not considering my time, you're not considering how I feel, you're not considering what I want. Which, by the way, majority of times looking back, my dad actually was. He just still needs something done. It wasn't like he wasn't considering me, it was just, there was something that was bigger that my 10-year-old brain couldn't get around. Something my 15-year-old brain couldn't get around. Something my 42-year-old brain couldn't get around. I want you to go without hesitation. I want you to go without any kind of criticism. I, I really understood this when I had children. When I would ask my kids to do something, and like their immediate response was why they don't think they should do it. And I'm like, okay, good. It's not just me. It's every human. Truly, it, 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 it's not that criticism is bad. It's not that even hesitation is bad. It's just that do you know when to criticize, when to hesitate, when to ponder, and when to move? Do you know the difference? Because I really think that we have become a generation of hesitators and arguers and debaters and complainers instead of a generation of obedient people saying yes to the Spirit. Like, I get it, I get it. There's a time to, hey, let's have a conversation and we'll have, like, you know, some of our pastors lead it and we can kind of hammer it out and try to figure out what's going on. I get it. But then are we ever going to actually do anything? No, we're going to have another debate the next week. And then we're going to have another conversation. So that we can hear from all the perspectives. Until we're so busy talking, we never have to do a thing. I think one of the most deadly things to the church and to the effect of the gospel 
is not that there is a criticism, but the fact that in the end, we never know how to stop. Never. Oh yeah, but have you thought of this? Oh yeah, but what about this? Oh yeah, but what if they get upset? Oh yeah, but what if? No, no, no. And the Spirit said, without hesitation, I need you to go. The gospel is criticized. Here's what I love, though, is that Peter doesn't do that. Peter does, Peter does not step up and go, I can't believe we're having this conversation. I don't know if you know this. I'm the leader of this church. Let's get going. He doesn't do that. Maybe because he's been there. Maybe because he's already experienced the, the, the time and the grace of God, like that God helped him through this to come to this new understanding. And then God said, okay, now we're going. Are we ready to go? And Peter's like, yeah, I'm ready to go now. And Peter shows them the same kindness. Look at verse 4. As they criticized him, Peter doesn't storm out. Peter doesn't go, well, I'm going to start a new church. Church that doesn't have religious people in it. Church that doesn't have, like, church folk in it. I mean, I had a buddy of mine who years ago was so excited about planning a church. He was so excited about planning. I can't wait to plant a church. I'm going to plant a church in a part of Dallas where there's not a lot of, you know, a lot of churches, and we're going to do church in a new way. And I said, you do realize that after you plant that church, you're going to have a church. I mean, it's, 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 it's the problem when you have to take the baby home. You know what I mean? I love the, the wisdom and even the patience of Peter here. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. Hey, like, I, I get that you guys are freaking out about this. I was freaking out too. Let me tell you what happened. Here, here's another cool word. Turn to Acts chapter 28, verse 23. That word explained. The word defend really isn't even the best word for it. It's, it's, it's much different than that. In Acts chapter 28, Paul is in Rome and he's waiting to stand before Caesar. And while he's waiting, um, they have to get a court date where Paul will actually go before Caesar. And he's going to be under house arrest. And so what is he going to be doing while he's waiting to meet before Caesar? Verse 23, it explains it. And when they had appointed a day for him, that would be for him to go see Caesar, they came to him at his lodging. So where he's under house arrest. And it says, came to him at his lodging in great, greater numbers. From morning until evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. That word expounded is the same word here for explained. Paul is in Rome and people are going, okay, like help me with this Jesus thing again. Like, help, okay, I, I don't understand how God did this and now he's doing this. And Paul said, well, let me explain. And he began and he, he expounded. He explained and he explained and he explained and he explained. And he tried to convince them that the way of God through Jesus Christ, is the way that everyone should embrace. So the gospel is critiqued. And what do we do with those people who are critiquing it? Especially those who are genuinely trying to figure it out. 
I believe there are those that are critics and they have their hands on their hips and they just want to argue with you all the time. And I think there's a time to have that conversation and a time to just look at someone and go, like, I, I have no more explanation for you. Like, I, I don't think you're really trying to understand the way of God. I, I think you're here to argue with me and, man, I'm always here for you, but this really has just kind of just gone downhill. Peter is taking the time to explain it to them. I like how he said it, in order. I was listening to how Brady told it. Even though I had read the text a number of times, and it's really interesting how Peter's saying it in such a way that he's wanting them to get that the, God is the one who's doing this. So as I'm sitting there and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm waiting on this particular time of the day, then God is doing this, and then God had already sent these people, and then God was already ready to send the Spirit. And then I went kind of reluctantly, but the Spirit told me to go. And then when I got there, this was already happening, and this is what God was already doing. And then in the middle of me talking, the Holy Spirit came on them, and I didn't even ask the Holy Spirit to come. And then the Holy Spirit came, and then what was I supposed to do? It's literally him trying to catch up to what God is doing. And he's shocked and he's amazed and he's confused. See, that's how you know you went to church well, right? Is when you're shocked and amazed and confused and overjoyed and a little confused and, and trying to understand what Jim was saying today. And, you know, you're trying to figure this out. And it's just that God's plans and God's purposes are so big and so great. They are so beyond. If you think you have it all figured out. Someone needs to explain it to you, expound it to you a little more. Because the riches of God's grace and plan, both in the person of Jesus and in the way of Jesus, is so deep, is so profound, is so good, just when you think you understand it, it gets bigger. So Peter gets to the end of his conversation. And so I baptized him. How'd you get there, Peter? Look at verse 17 of our text. And, and this, is where, this is where the conversation moves from. Okay, let's talk about it and rehash it. And let's talk about it again and rehash it. I'm not against that. I'm probably guilty of too much of that. My wife thinks I'm really guilty. My children think I'm really, really guilty of that. Talking too much about it. Notice in, in Acts chapter 28, Paul was trying to convince them. There was a point in time where Paul said, okay, like I think I've explained it all. Can I just say, have you ever gotten into a conversation with someone that you're hoping will believe in Jesus, will put their faith in Jesus? Nine times out of ten, are you like me? You walk away and you never ask them to? Like you never, you never like ask them about it? Let me tell you who Jesus is. I'm gonna tell you who Jesus is. Let me tell you who Jesus is. Let me tell you what Jesus did to me. Let me tell you who Jesus is. Let me tell you who Jesus is. Have a great day. And, and, and by the way, like the Holy Spirit doesn't need me to close the deal. I just, I don't know, maybe it's just the older I get, the more I'm just thinking, I have just totally... It's, I guess it's like a weird thing to say, and it is. I, that's why I like to use the words of the Bible. So is there anything that you can think of that would present or prevent you from experiencing this new life in Jesus Christ? Can you think of anything? By the way, like nine times out of ten, they have a reason. 
And we talk about it some more and talk. Okay, now is there anything that keeps you from? I really think there are people in this room and what keeps you from truly embracing Jesus is you've you've never had someone really ask you kind of in that face-to-face moment, have you trusted Jesus? This is the language I like to talk about. Have you trusted Jesus with your sin problem before God? Have you believed that he is the one, not you, not your mom, not your good works, have you trusted Jesus to be the one and his sacrifice to bring peace with God? Have you done that? I mean, if you're honest, like how many times has anybody done that to you? We don't even talk like that. But it seems like Peter is going over this and going over this and going over this. And then there, it apparently like there came a time where Peter was done telling the story and now the church has to make a decision. And here's how Peter explains to them how he made a decision. Verse 17. If then God, who gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Um, you're the Pope. I don't mean that glibly. You're, you're one of the very first leaders of the, I mean, you're Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And I'll give you the keys and whatever you say. Like, you, hear, hear me, it's no small deal. He's Peter. It's a big deal. Don't make him little. And Peter, the one that Jesus entrusted, said, who am I to oppose God? Okay, that, here, I read that and I'm going, okay, well, if Peter didn't feel like he had anything to say, then I should really be quiet. There's a great reminder. If God has made a way, who are you to oppose it? If God has offered grace to someone, who are you to oppose it? If God is forgiving someone, who are you to oppose it? If God has made a way in Jesus Christ for others to receive the goodness that you and I have received, who are we to oppose it? The answer is, like, we shouldn't. The real answer is, we can't. Gamaliel said a few chapters ago, speaking about all of the Christians, hey, listen, like, if this is God and what he's doing, then if we try to oppose them, we'll just find ourselves opposing God. Like, why would we want to oppose God? That's Peter here. God is the one who has spoken. It's our job to follow suit. He saw the hand of God. He traced the hand of God. And now Peter had something he needed to do. And I like what he did. Look at the last verse, verse 18. After there being a moment of criticism, not a negative word necessarily. After there's a a word of defense or explanation, it's, it's not a bad word. It's a good thing to do. Now what? Now it's time to celebrate. Now it's time to glorify God. Like, this is who he is, and this is what he's done. What what do we do? We celebrate. That's what Christian people do. I mean, if you were to tell me, hey, let me tell you about a church meeting where one of the guys from the church goes up and does something that no one else is cool with, and then he comes back and he has to try to explain it, I would tell you, it is not going to go well for him. I I, I have become such a skeptic and such a, 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 a critical spirit, even of the people of God, But the end of this text blows me away. 
Because I really would have thought that they would have just, like, the, then the church split, and they argued, and then you have, like, first Christian church of Jerusalem and second Christian church of Jerusalem. Jews over here, Jews and Gentiles over here, or Peter and Gentiles over here, you know? And then Paul will come and be a part of this second church. Look at verse 18. And when they had heard these things, they fell silent. It's kind of a repeated phrase in the Bible, because when God has spoken, I have nothing to add. After we're done criticizing, and after we're done explaining, God is more gracious than we know. God is more loving than we know. God is more righteous than we know. God is building a people in places that we, that we don't even know about. And the people of God who are, have the spirit of God just fall silent. And they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. And what did the church do? The church began to celebrate the person of Jesus. Hey, guess who Jesus is? Now, now here's something you need to remember. God didn't say, yeah, I tried that whole Old Testament thing and it didn't work. God didn't say, hey, I used to be a real stickler on these things, but fine, we'll do it your way. That's not what he did. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who fulfilled in our place the law. He didn't come to abolish it. He didn't come to go, hey, God has changed his mind. Let's give up on the old way. He said, you couldn't do it. None of you could do it. So God loves you so much, he sent me, and I have fulfilled it for you. And the church went, wow, Jesus, you're amazing. Like, thank you so much. This is what the church in the last 2,000 years has really wrestled with. God didn't just lower his standard when he let you and I in the church. He didn't lower it at all. God cannot lower his standard. What God did was in Jesus Christ, God met that standard for us. Is that not awesome? See, that's what we're celebrating. Like, God, you are so good. You knew I couldn't do it. You sent Jesus and he did it. How do I get a piece of that deal? And the way of God is by grace through faith. We believe and we celebrate the goodness of God. The way of faith isn't just, hey, God has finally decided to let go of his old biases. It's no, but now we live at a time when God has fulfilled all of his promises. In the person of Jesus. And you and I are now included in the way of Jesus. And that is something that the church always knows how to celebrate. Let's pray. God, thank you for your purpose and for your plan, for your goodness to us. And I pray, Father, that we truly would find joy in that. That, God, you have not lowered your standards in Jesus, but you have fulfilled them. You have made a way. You have, Father, in your goodness, provided peace. And so I thank you for the fact that there is an invitation with my name on it. There is a plan of peace, Father, that you have made for us. On behalf of all the Gentiles in the room, God, we say you're great.
Thank you for including us. Father, it is because you are worthy of the worship of all of your creation that you have done this. And so we praise your name in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.